Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Good morning again, everybody. Welcome to Coastal. Uh, So grateful you're here this morning. Thank you, sir. Um, whether you are in the building, whether you're watching online, we are just grateful that you have tuned in this morning. It's going to be another uh, awesome day. We are continuing on um, in week three of our summer reading series. Uh, if you've been present the last couple of weeks, uh, you know that we are looking into some classic uh, fundamental books of the Christian faith. Uh, we've looked at some great ones so far. Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis was uh, two weeks ago, and then last week, uh, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Um, just some really solid books on not only uh, what we should know about God, uh, but why we should know it and even some evidence uh, for that. Um, so today we're going to continue on in this series uh, by looking at another classic Christian piece of literature. literature. Uh, it's the book Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Uh, Celebration of Discipline was first published in 1978. It has sold over 1 million copies and was recently named one of the top 10 books of the 20th century uh, by Christianity Today. Um, So if you haven't had a chance to read this book, I want to encourage you to, but then also go ahead and address what I'm sure you were thinking right off of the bat hearing the title. It is that celebration and discipline uh, don't normally go together. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm, most of us hear the word discipline, uh, we're immediately turned off by it. Um, and for most of us, I think that uh, the idea of discipline, it normally involves some type of sacrifice, right? Us giving up something, most of the time, something that we really don't want to give up. Um, and to be honest, uh, that doesn't sound like much of a reason to celebrate, does it? Right? Um, but when you break it down, I really think it's uh, it's almost just like a connotation that we had with the word that gives it a bad rap, right? The word discipline. And honestly, I think another big part of it is that we struggle to understand what dis- being disciplined uh, really means, especially when it comes to our uh, spiritual walk, right? If you think about it, how many times um, do you, have, you, have you wanted to do the right thing, um, but you just don't, and you don't really understand why, right? You don't understand why you do the wrong thing, uh, you understand why, you know, no matter how much you want to do the right things, to do the thing that God wants you to do, uh, you just can't. I know I've found myself uh, there before. Um, and honestly, if it makes you feel any better, there's a very prominent guy in the Bible we're actually going to take a quick look at uh, who has experienced the same thing. I might even make you uh, feel a little bit better about yourself because uh, it's the Apostle Paul. Um, if you don't know too much about Paul, this was a guy that was as close to God as you could get, right? This guy had, had done some amazing things. He was used by God to, to do incredible miracles. He actually was used by God to raise one from the dead. Um, he even wrote uh, like a third of the New Testament. Um, so this was a guy as, as influential and as impactful as he and his ministry uh, was, um, he still struggled. Romans chapter 7 um, says, I don't really understand myself or I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. It says, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. It says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. 
I don't know about you, but reading through that, it almost just sounds like a guy who's rambling, right? The words of, of someone who just doesn't really understand, uh, who's trying, but is limited by his own uh, lack of abilities and, and innate sinfulness, right? Someone who probably struggles with being disciplined, right? If that's not us, I don't, I don't know what is. And so the way that I want to, uh, which I want to start out today, the way that I think would be best to, to help us understand uh, what it truly means to be disciplined um, is really just to start at the beginning and, and define discipline, right? D- define specifically spiritual discipline, right? And, and so we're going to do that, but, you know, before we get too far into it, I just want to put a, a little disclaimer out there. Uh, you know, we're not just going to spend the next 30 minutes going over, you know, Foster's 12 different disciplines in his book, and you're not going to break down all the different nuances of them. You know, we're going hit to them, hit them quickly, but I think for a lot of people, we're not able to truly experience uh, the intended benefits of them because one, right, we're attempting to, uh, to do that from an incorrect foundation, right? We're attempting to do them from an unbiblical understanding of why we need them. And then number two, we're attempting to put them into practice um, in our own lives, again, doing so from an incorrect and unbiblical understanding of ourselves, Right, and so again, we're going to hit on them, but I really want to spend some time today setting up uh, the who and the why of spiritual disciplines. Right, so let's get back to it. In the, in the book, Celebration of Discipline, Foster starts out by uh, defining discipline uh, like this. He says, it's the ability to have the power to do something that needs to be done when it needs to be done. Right, the ability to have the power to do something that needs to be done when it needs to be done. I think the last part is, is key there, right? So I'm going to kind of rearrange it a little bit into something that, uh, at least for me, makes a little more sense practically. It's the same meaning, and you, know, you can write this down next to it if, it if it works better for you. But it's that discipline is with the help of God choosing what you want most over what you want now, right? With the help of God choosing what you want most over what you want now. I believe having the power to do something is it's vital to the whole process. It's vital to living, you know, the real Christian life. But in all honesty, this power, it's one that only comes from God, right? We all know the, this principle, like, you know, we can try and do things on our own. We can try and fight temptations on our own. We can try and manifest things in our lives. We can try and, you know, overcome the, the hurdles that we're inevitably going to face on a daily basis, We can try that on our own, but it's only through God's power and our reliance on him that these things can actually happen. So once we have the power, once we've relied on God for that power, then the choice is up to us. Right again, Foster's saying having the power, yeah, that's part of it, but using it, right? Doing whatever it is when it needs to be done, that's, that's just as big. And also when I say, you know, choosing what you want most over what you want now, it's operating out of this belief that as a whole, right, as a, as a whole a people, we all generally want the same thing, right? We all, you know, whether it's, um, you know, people who uh, follow Christ, you know, people who just know God, people who believe in something, or even those that just want to be good people, right? Whatever your definition of that is, we all generally want uh, the same thing. I mean, take marriage, for example. For those that are married or, or getting married or maybe just have a desire to get married, 
We all want our marriages to have pretty much the same thing, right? We want them to be healthy. We want a marriage full of trust. We want a marriage of intimacy. Right? No one goes into the marriage saying, I'm really looking for a couple of divorces, a couple of affairs, you know? No, we all want a healthy marriage. Same thing applies to our physical health. I think everyone would say that they want to be physically healthy. No one wants to be crazy out of shape. No one wants to be out of breath walking up a flight of stairs. Right? No one's going around licking different surfaces, trying to get sick. We all want to be physically healthy. Finances is another one. Right? We all want to not have to worry about money. Most of us would like to be a blessing to others. Right? We don't want to spend our whole life living paycheck to paycheck. I think it's safe to say we all want some kind of you know, financial freedom and security. So again, this definition of discipline is operating with the underlying belief that we all generally want the same thing. And so with that context, discipline really is the ability to put aside what you want now right, for the treasure that is to come. Putting aside the immediate desires for the long-term ones. And when you think about it again, you know, for the most part, we all want the same thing. So if we all want the same thing, we all have the same you know, end goals, why is it that our results are so incredibly different? Right? We all have the same desires. Why are the range of results so vast? And I believe it's because our desires, our desires don't determine who you become. Disciplines do. Right? Desires don't determine who you become. Desires don't determine what you do on a daily basis. Disciplines do. And what I mean here is that desires, they don't bring about results. Right? Just wanting a better life doesn't bring about a health, better life. Just wanting a, a great marriage doesn't bring about a great marriage. Just wanting to be physically healthy definitely doesn't make you physically healthy. That would be great, right? And one of the reasons that this is true is because of this myth that is uh, presented to us nowadays. And this myth is that pure willpower will get you where you wanna go. And this is not the case. I'm sure as many of you have experienced some of you probably rather harshly. Willpower just isn't enough on its own. Why doesn't it work? Because we get tired, right? We get fatigued, we're human, we're sinful humans. Sinful humans that don't have the strength or the resources to outlast the battles that we face on our own. Right, willpower is just not enough sometimes. I know this firsthand. All right, let me tell you, I don't know... Um, I don't know how this started. I think I just had to get my daughter out of the house one Saturday morning. Um, but now one of her favorite things to do uh, in the morning or on Saturday morning is to wake up still in her pajamas, uh, get in the car and go to Krispy Kreme, right? Maybe a tradition for you, I don't know. But somehow now if we don't do that, someone she asked for it, it's like the world is ending. This is her ritual. And so we go to Krispy Kreme and she loves to, uh, to get a dozen donuts and pick out all the different flavors, Right, that's our favorite part. And so, you know, we'll get in the car, we get the Krispy Kreme, you know, we say we want a dozen donuts and without fail, this is how she does. She'll walk up there and, you know, what do you want? And she'll go straight to the strawberry with the, uh, the pink one with the sprinkles. All right, I want a pink one with sprinkles. Okay, well, that's the next one. She'll, she'll go to the chocolate with sprinkles. I want one of those. All right, and then if I'm lucky, she'll find one more that kind of looks cool, right, that, that she'll put in her box. But without fail, after that one, it's I want a, uh, I want a strawberry one with sprinkles and then I want another chocolate one with sprinkles. And then back, I want another pink one with sprinkles. 
right? And so just go back and forth until she fills up her box. And the people at Krispy Kreme, they really love that, right? But so she'll get all her donuts. We'll go get in the car. And then without fail, she'll want one right then, right? So she'll get one of her pink ones with sprinkles. And normally she'll eat about a third of it with the other two thirds ending up in her car seat, on the window, or on the ceiling. I haven't figured that one out yet, but... Um, so that's how that'll end up, and we'll get home, and she'll be all excited. She'll show mommy and her, her sister her donuts, and then she'll want another one, right? So I'll negotiate with her. Okay, we'll cut it in half. You can have half now and half later, right? I'll maybe have one then. My wife and other daughter will split one, and so, you know, then they go on the counter, right? And they, go, they sit on the counter, and now you got to remember it's Saturday, right? Everybody's at home just walking around the entire day and the donuts are just sitting there on the counter. And I don't know if you've done the math with me, but only three and a half to four donuts have been eaten. That'll leave about eight donuts there sitting on the counter all day. And so inevitably I'll be walking by and the first time it's easy, right? It's, it's, no, it's easy to say no the first time. So I, you know, I don't need a donut. Second time come walking by, it's a little bit harder, but I still don't need a donut right now. Third time, eventually I feel like I'll end up saying no, but the stare down is gonna be a lot harder. Right, I'm gonna take the extra time. Normally I'll open up the box, pick the one I would get if I was getting one. I'll put it in the back so that Ellie can't reach it, right? And so, but then I'll say no. Fourth time I come by though, I'll pull the whole negotiating tactics, right? I'll cut it in half. I'll be really proud of myself because I only took half a donut, right? But then we all know five minutes later, I'm right back grabbing the other half. And that's normally the similar fate of all eight donuts, right? And so what are the lessons there? I think number one is I love Krispy Kreme. I feel like everybody does. But the second is that willpower just isn't enough. Right? Our willpower is going to wane. You know, just like you walk the donut so many times, you're just not going to be able to hold out any longer. And that becomes a real problem when we apply it to our spiritual life. Right? Because again, we know what we're supposed to do. We know we're supposed to be good people. We know we're supposed to honor God. You know, we're supposed to pray and, and read our Bible and sacrificially give and serve. We're not supposed to lie or cheat or steal. Right? We know what we need to do and we try. Like I wholeheartedly believe everyone in here tries. We try to do the right thing, but we're human. Eventually, we're gonna give in to our sinful desires. And do you ever notice what happens when you do give in? Right? Like really, it starts the moment before we give in the moment when we're, we're fighting not to fail, the enemy comes in and tells us what? It's no biggie, no big deal. Everyone does it, you're not hurting anyone. Our enemy minimizes, minimalizes our potential failure. But then that same enemy jumps right back in after we fail and does the opposite. Right now you're a bad person. Now you're a failure, you're pathetic, you're worthless, you'll never amount to anything. You'll never have a healthy marriage. You'll never get physically healthy, right? You'll never have financial freedom or security. So the enemy has taken this failure that started out as no big deal and has now tied it to our identity. Right? Does that make sense? Now our, our identity, which is ultimately found in, in the worth that Christ assigns to us, somehow now it's in our shortcomings. It's in our failures, and again, the great apostle Paul, he experiences this as well. Going back to that passage in Romans 7, you know, verse 24, where he says, oh, what a miserable person I am. 
Other translations use the word wretched. I know what a wretched person I am. Paul is experiencing the same things we are, the, the feeling that something just isn't right, something is wrong, there's something I'm, I'm missing, something is not right in my life. And the thing is that it's not something, but it's someone. And that someone is where we're able to draw that power from. Right? Paul realizes it in the same passage and he almost begins preaching to himself. Right? He keeps going. He says, who will free me from the life that is dominated by sin and death? He says, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Right? The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the key. You know, that's where our power, our identity, our, our value, our worth. He's saying it's found in the Lord. And it's deeper than we're able to see on a daily basis when we're, we're facing all these trials and, and temptations. And so that leads us to the next question in, in understanding spiritual discipline. You know, we've answered what it is and why we need it. Now, again, the question is how? How do we become spiritually disciplined? And to really begin answering that, we have to start off understanding one thing. Right? It's that spiritual discipline is not about behavior modification, but in fact, spiritual transformation. I'll say that again. Spiritual discipline is not about behavior modification. It's about spiritual transformation. And you have to understand that because there is such a big difference. Right? It's not about behavior. It's not about the things, you know, the small things that you do. It's not about you just trying to be you know, a better person under your own power but it's diving into the identity and, and the worth given to you by God and then using the tools that he provides to unlock the life that he has planned for you. And it starts with identity, our identity in God, and then our identity drives the actions. And through those actions, we're able to see results. And so we have to strive to view spiritual discipline in this way, or to be honest, we're, we aren't going to be very successful at implementing them into our lives. In the book, uh, Richard Foster says, spiritual discipline is a liberation, not a bondage. He says, spiritual discipline frees us to love God with everything we have and releases us to experience the life that God has planned for us. And so now that we've kind of, we've set it up enough, I feel like it, um, it is time to get practical. And, and really, this is where Foster's book thrives. And so I just encourage you, you know, uh, make sure you check it out. But it's, it's in the breaking down the practical spiritual discipline so that we can see, you know, in what areas we may need to improve or, or, or what spiritual disciplines we need to focus on. You know, maybe what areas we're succeeding in. And then maybe we find out some that we didn't even know were important to our spiritual walk. And now we can kind of add in. And so again, if you've read it, you, you know what these are, but I feel like it's really good just to lay them out one by one. And so Foster organizes uh, the spiritual disciplines into three categories. Uh, you've got a blank for them there, one, two, and three. It's inward, outward, and corporate. And we'll go through them all, but um, the number one is inward. The inward spiritual disciplines, and they consist of meditation, fasting, studying, and prayer. Meditation, fasting, studying, and prayer. It's a meditation. Um, if you're like me, uh, your head might go straight to crossed legs, breathing exercises, and stretching. 
right? But, but as far as your spiritual walk, that's not it. Meditation, as far as your spiritual walk, is simply the ability to hear God's voice and obey it. Right? It's that simple. Hear his voice, obey his word. Right? We just have to spend time listening for him. So that's meditation. There's fasting. That's one that I feel like a lot of us, you know, myself included, don't always connect with. Uh, maybe sometimes you don't, you know, see the spiritual benefits or necessity of it. Foster describes it as the voluntary denial of an otherwise normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. Right? Because the point is, for the most part, nothing is wrong with these normal everyday things that we give up when we're fasting. But in fasting, we make the conscious effort to set aside things that would normally you know, cause us to focus on or put attention on. And that allows us to focus on God and our relationship with him. It can be anything from food to technology to even people. Right? And this in turn allows us to be more present and aware of God's works in our lives and the opportunities that he's putting into our lives. And then there's study. Again, another word that a lot of us don't like too much, uh, maybe one that um, a lot of us said we would never do again after school. Uh, but what is studying? It's, it's the attempt to gain knowledge. In your spiritual walk, it's the attempt to gain knowledge of God and his word, and that leads us to the truth. There's a verse in John 8 that says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Right? Without a knowledge of the truth, we will never be free from our own sin. And so we have to study the Bible. We have to spend time in it. We have to have a heart for it. And we have to not only, you know, read it, but we have to absorb it and process it and do so to such a degree that it, you know, unintentionally flows out into our daily lives. So we have to study the last one is prayer. The last of the inward spiritual disciplines. And um, the thing about prayer is that it's one that when you put an emphasis on it, in your spiritual life, uh, it actually flows into all of the other ones. You know, and, and honestly, prayer is so all-encompassing that in the book, Foster actually kind of narrows it down to one specific area of prayer uh, that for a lot of us may need to be more of a priority. Uh, it's the prayer of intercession or uh, basically praying for other people. Right, we all know how prayer normally goes when we're rushed or at dinner or something. It's, you know, Hey, God, thank you for this and this, but uh, here's my list. I need you to help me out with one through 30 here. That would be great. Right? And, and, you know, there's nothing wrong for asking God for the things we need. The Bible actually tells us to be specific about those things. Right? But imagine if we actually spent time in prayer for other people, like legitimate time with a legitimate focus. And not just, you know, not just when someone posts on Facebook that they need prayer. Again, there's nothing wrong with it, but you know, all the time, people so desperately need your prayer and they may, not, they may not look like it, they may not act like it, you may not know, but prayer is the type of help that no matter what your situation is, it can make an eternal impact in someone else's life. Right, think about it, just like we talked about how our identity and our worth uh, is found in God, it's the only way that we can access the power and strength that we need to stay disciplined in this world. And the same way, praying to that same God for somebody else can give them more hope than anything, uh, more help than we, anything we can do on our own. And so we're encouraged to pray to God, thank him for what he's done, 
Ask him for the things that you need, but don't neglect to pray for other people. You know, maybe that's the next step in the evolution of your spiritual discipline, that is prayer. And so that's the out, or inward. Foster then moves on to the outward disciplines. And the outward spiritual disciplines are solitude, submission, service, and simplicity. Solitude, submission, service, and simplicity. And all of these spiritual disciplines here on the outward focus a lot on the social aspects of our faith. You know, Foster says that when we in fact act on the social implications of the gospel, it can free us up from our own cerebral religion. Like think about ourselves when it comes to religion. He says it can both discipline us and deepen us. And so the first one here is solitude. Honestly, it's what makes our spiritual life possible. And it's interesting because, you know, it's really the opposite of what you would think when you say it's a social aspect of our faith. But it really is vital because solitude is able to free us from the social and cultural obligations of the world, the desires. It frees us up to focus on God. So many times in, in his word, we see where people are you know, called to, to draw away from the crowds and to, to be on their own in solitude and prayer and, and spending time in God's word. Right, so that's solitude. And then the next one is submission. Another difficult one, but this spiritual discipline is actually kind of twofold. Right, when we say submission, your first thought is, is probably natural to be submission to God and, and you'd be Right? But in the book, Foster's actually calling for a second type of submission. And that's submission to, uh, to everyone around you. Submission to a community. Right? And, you know, again, I know that can kind of seem confusing because we're called not to, you know, not to submit to the ways of the world. But this is a, you know, submission that ultimately allows us to love and serve one another. It's a submission that takes our priority off of ourselves and allows us to focus on the needs of others. Right, because when, when we're giving to, to others, we're giving to God. And when we're serving others, we're serving God. When we're listening to others, we're listening to God. And serve is such a big part of it. That's actually the third spiritual discipline. Right? Service is the discipline that takes submission, submission to this community. It takes it to a whole other level and allows us to truly go beyond ourselves. Right? Again, putting the, the needs of others above the needs of ourselves. Putting God's calling to, to love and serve above our own selfish desires. Right? And one thing that we also have to note, serving comes, uh, it can come with one major pitfall if we're not careful. Right, serving with the wrong intentions, better known as you know, self-righteous service, can do much more harm than good. Because right, his true service flows out of our relationship with God and, and, and our desire to not only be more like him, but to be obedient to his word. Right, and then we go to the final one, it's Simplicity. Right, not, the one, not one that we normally think of really or maybe that we even understand. And so the easiest way to think about simplicity is that it is an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. Right? It's an inward reality, an outward lifestyle, you know, like prayer within the inward ones that encompasses all the outward disciplines. 
Right? That is to say that it is simply the attempt to focus all other aspects of our lives on the single purpose of furthering God's kingdom. Right? Instead of you know, putting priority on the non-essential situations and circumstances of our daily lives, we try and put God at the center of those situations and turn everything back to him. It's kind of summed up in uh, Matthew 6, verse 33. It says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. That's pretty cool. And so that's, that's the outward. So we made it through the inward. We've made it through the outward. Uh, the last category that Foster works through is the corporate spiritual disciplines. The corporate spiritual disciplines. And uh, the corporate disciplines really represent uh, the community disciplines. Right? They represent the understanding that some spiritual disciplines, again, are meant to take place in a, a community, a system, not in isolation. Right? So corporate disciplines consist of confession, celebration, worship, and guidance. Confession, celebration, worship, and guidance. So confession, guys, confession is just repentance. Confession is repentance. It's the recognition of what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's the acknowledgement that we're, that we're sinners destined for an eternal life apart from God. Uh, it's the acknowledgement that through a relationship with God, we can be forgiven and redeemed. Right? We confess because it's, it's not by our own power that we can be saved, but again, by Christ and Christ alone. And so in doing that, confession actually then leads to celebration, the second one. Right? Confession allows us to be set free. And when we understand that, celebration is really the only natural reaction that we can have. Right? And what's cool about this spiritual discipline of celebration is, again, it is, it is a reaction. You see, celebration comes to us as a result of all the other disciplines having done their work in our lives. Right? And so if the desired goal of the spiritual disciplines is, is to produce in us a deep character you know, transformation, this transformation to bring balance to our lives and, and all these things that we deal with on a daily basis, you know, these feelings, these, this anger and, and bitterness and resentment, disappointment, fear, anxiety, all these things simply don't have the control over us that they once did. Right? And this in turn allows us to uh, you know, feel this in every area of our lives. And so you know, when the substance of our lives is it's formed and just transformed into this Christ-likeness, celebration becomes not only possible, but it becomes natural. That's why celebration is so cool. And so uh, confession, celebration, that moves us into worship. Worship, Foster describes worship as our human response to God's divine initiative. And again, this is not to be confused uh, with a reaction like celebration, but it is a conscious effort to give thanks and glory to the one who gives all blessing in our lives. And as I'm sure many of you know, when, when done right, it can infiltrate every area of your daily lives. Because right? worship's just not, not just here on Sunday morning, Right? It's the way you interact with your coworkers. It's the way you, way you treat your spouse and your children. It's the way you think about yourselves. It's the way you serve. It's the way you do all things. Right? We can worship in all these different ways and, and it's all worship, but most of the time, until we have reached a level of discipline that, that honestly most of us never will, it has to be a conscious effort. 
And then that takes us to the last spiritual discipline, which is guidance. Guidance is another one that's kind of all-encompassing here, the culmination of others. It's a, a discipline that through time and experience allows us to, to both recognize and understand that God's will is both intrinsically right and altogether good. It's a process where we move from acquaintanceship with God to friendship. And just like all the friendships that we have in our daily lives, the, the people that we listen to and take advice from and whose opinions we value, it's the same way with God. When we move into this type of relationship with God, we be, begin to allow his guidance to take hold in our lives. We begin to see the goodness and the righteousness, righteousness in it. And it just continues to grow and transform until it becomes our sole you know, direction and perspective in life. And so all of these spiritual disciplines, you know, as a whole represent the actions that we talked about earlier. You know, when we start from a place of, of correct identity and, and identity found in the fact that we are children of God, combine that with the spiritual disciplines designed to lead us closer in a relationship with him, that's when we open up a cycle of success, a spiritual success in our lives. And that's a big difference from when we were talking about willpower earlier. Right, the, those attempts to operate strictly on our own power, that was a cycle of failure. Right, we think I'm not good enough, I'm not succeeding, I, I need to do better, and so we try harder, we work harder, but, but what, what happens with the donut is ultimately our willpower fails us. Our strength isn't enough, it's not good enough, and that leads to failure and guilt and shame, and it just starts to process over. Right, when we start a, from a place of understanding, right, understanding, we know that in the beginning we have to depend on God for that strength and that guidance. And from that, we're able to really build up our own faith to the point where we dive full on into the spiritual disciplines, not just because we know we're supposed to, because it's an overflowing of God working in our lives. And these disciplines, these, these actions just continue to strengthen our relationship with God and it keeps this cycle going. Right, that's what we have to strive for. That's what Foster's showing here in his book, not just what the spiritual disciplines are you know, and how you do them, but the impact and the eternal life change they can make when actually put into our lives in the right way. And so that's you know, not only my hope for you today, but my invitation and my challenge. Right, there's a next step in this process for everyone, whether it's beginning to decipher where your identity comes from, like just at the beginning, whether it's the beginning of, uh, you know, beginning to introduce some spiritual disciplines into your life, one or two, or whether it's focusing on a couple of them out of all of them and, and you know, really taking them to the next level in, in your spiritual walk and allowing your relationship with God to really grow and, and thrive. There's a next step for everyone here today. And so uh, I'd love uh, if you would pray uh, with me for that. Let's pray. Father God, thank you again for another day and another opportunity to gather here uh, with your people in your church and just um, talk about all of the um, amazing things you do for us, all the tools that you give us in our lives to really, again, live the life that you've called us to, to experience the blessings that you have planned for our lives. And um, God, I know there's a lot of people here today kind of all throughout this uh, journey, the spiritual walk in different places and steps God, whatever it is this morning, I just want to, um, I just pray that they would rely on you to get through it. God, whatever they're facing in their daily lives, whatever hurdle or 
I don't know, trial, temptation, failure they come across, um, they know that they can rely on you for that strength and that guidance. And God, I'm sure there's some people today that are really at the beginning um, and they've put their identity and their worth and their value into the things of this world and they're you know, maybe just beginning to realize that it actually comes from you. And God, so I pray this morning, they would just say, you know, God, I do recognize that what you did for me, I confess that you died on the cross. I'm ready to put everything I have into you. I'm ready to give it all, to put my value, my worth, all of it into things that you've done for me. So God, again, whatever the next step is for anyone here, God, I just pray that they rely on you, they give it to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.